Hello and welcome to the Southwest London Podcast. My name is Matt Hancock Bruce and I'll be your host today. Joining me for this episode is Jonathan Bray. Hello! And Louis Pasheur. Good afternoon. On today's show, we'll be pre- previewing the Premier League fixtures involving Fulham FC and Crystal Palace, as well as looking ahead to England's series against South Africa later this month, considering the Surrey County players selected. But first, we spoke with the new Harlequins club captain, Stefan Lewis. Hi Stephen, it seems like you've got some great news recently. How did you find out about the uh, captaincy? Yeah, I uh, became captain of the uh, Harlequins rugby team. I'm very proud. It's obviously an honour to uh, take over from uh, Chris Robshaw. You know, long-standing legend of the club, legend of the club. And, you know, there's still players here such as Danny Kerr and uh, Alex Dombran, who I feel like was stiff competition for me to get the role. But uh, I'm happy to have it and I'm uh, honoured to take the position. Was it a big surprise then? Oh, very big surprise, very big surprise. I just try and keep my head down, get uh, get the job done, focus on my jobs, uh, you know, do the simple stuff right and uh, not, not try not to get ahead of myself. Is it kind of intimidating to have to take over from a legend at such a big club? Oh, yeah, it is, mate. Yeah, it is. It's uh, always very difficult to take over from someone who's been there a long time. Chris, you know, he put in everything for the shirt. I appreciate that. I respect that. But uh, I look forward to having my own time now. Uh, how, how's the team feel going into the new season as you uh, as you as captain has it felt good yeah we feel good we feel good uh, we're uh, trying to build a new uh, new culture around the side uh, and we're hoping that our culture will uh, drive us on to success down the line uh, we've, we've focused on that for the last few years uh, Chris was a huge part of that and I look forward to uh, taking the ship forward have you ever captained before uh, captained at school side, uh, captained a bit at academy level as well, but never in a professional setup, mate. I'll be honest with you. Did it? Did it go well? Did you win games as captain? Ha! <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we won a few at school. Uh, got progressively harder as we went on, though. Uh, this is the worst South African accent. Ever, <laughs> but. Uh, so I know you've got a big game coming up tonight against Exeter. You're starting, and uh, they're coming off a short. Uh, uh, a short break. Do you think you can? You think you can have them? Yeah, Exeter are a tough side to play. Uh, they require a lot of uh, front up defense. Uh, you can't miss your tackles uh, when you're in your own when you're in your own half as well, which is always difficult because uh, when you're in the opposition half as well, which is always difficult, uh, means you've got to keep focus the whole game. Uh, and yeah, yeah. Uh, you formed a pretty strong partnership with. Um What's his name? I can't remember his name. Stands out. No. Uh, Steve. Steve Smith. Yes. You're the second row partner. Yeah, Steve. Uh, Steve. Steve Smith's done well uh, alongside his uh, grandfather, and uh, you know I was hoping that uh, he would continue that last season, uh, which he did. And you know we just try and win as many lineouts as we can, get a lot of the heavy lifting done. Uh, for the rest of the team, and uh, you know, really, a lot of the a lot of the praise shouldn't be going to us; it should be going to our backs and our uh, back row forwards. I know you've uh, only been in London for uh, about a year and a half now. Have you had a chance to go back to South Africa with the lockdown and the pandemic and everything? No, I don't get to go back as much as I'd like to. Uh, obviously, it's it's been difficult. It's been difficult, but uh, I think it's really helped that I've uh, 
that I've gotten used to living in London so quickly. And obviously, I think that's reflected in the fact that I've become captain. Have you managed to adjust? Do you, do you sort of know what you're getting into for the... Uh the sort of lockdown restart again. Yeah, we it's 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 tough. It's tough, but we are all just really happy to be back playing rugby. It's good. So a great interview there with uh, the new Harlequins club captain Stefan Louis. Uh, thanks for that, Louis. That was a great interview. Um, so he touched on a few things there. Uh, he actually one thing I thought was interesting is that this is the first time he's been a captain at a, a professional club. Um, so obviously he mentioned that he's done an academy level and at school. Um, but the first time at a professional level, do you think that lack of experience could be a, a big issue looking ahead? I think it's a, it's a worry from a fan's perspective because we don't really have much evidence of his ability to do it. Mm. But I think the fact that he's got the job uh, sort of out of nowhere suggests there must be something special to him behind the scenes and that the team sort of rallied around him when maybe Rob Shaw wasn't playing and uh, that's sort of been a sign to the backroom staff that he'd be a good option. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not just a lack of experience, it's also, he's only been there a year. Um, so he joined Harlequins, I think, what, 2019 he joined them? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Played for something about 14 games last season because of everything that went on. Um, so it's, it seems a bold choice to have gone with someone with such a lack of experience. Yeah, it, it either suggests a very rash decision where they were, were, that they weren't sure about, or that he's had a huge impact in that time and he really deserves it. And that will only really become clear after a few games uh, of him making the decisions. If I'm honest, I think the general trend with Harlequins at the moment appears to be one of, of decline, if I'm honest, over the last few years. I remember, obviously, when I started watching rugby, Harlequins' huge side, obviously. I don't think they ever really recovered uh, as a culture to the Bloodgate scandal. And I actually am very excited to see where Harlequins will go in this new direction. Uh, obviously, now that Rob Shaw has moved on, uh, I think Danny Kerr is probably coming into his last few days. And on paper, they seem to have a very strong young side with a few real stars potentially coming through. I think that Gabriel Batoye was a England under-20 star, really did quite well. He's an incredibly strong player, incredibly quick, uh, incredibly skillful. I think he then, uh, but then at the same time, it's more of a question of are they then going to hang on to those players once they start to really reach the heights that we know they can play at. So obviously you think of Carl Sinclair, they spent years and years putting loads of effort and time into producing one of the best props in the world. And as soon as he truly really grabs that brass ring as being one of the best props in the world, he's out. Uh, and I think if, if Harlequins really want to move in a positive direction in the long run, it's probably for the best that they undergo a, a top-to-bottom reshuffle. I think along that vein, the um, the the with Robshaw leaving, the only player left sort of from that original, not quite the Bloodgate group, but that's been playing there for the last decade is Joe Marler. Other than that, they essentially have a completely new forward group, mm. which uh, either spells decline or rejuvenation. We're sort yeah. of yet to see. I don't want to come off as too critical about Harlequins here. I, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to come off like I'm bashing them at all. But I, I, I honestly, I don't know what they've been playing at for the last few years. I mean, honestly, you look at you, you looked, you look at that side six, seven years ago, and they're sort of pushing towards having, you know, a, a side that can really challenge, uh, both domestically and in Europe. And then out of nowhere, they, they really, have, 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 I think, dropped the ball to an extent uh, 
in in both their recruitment and the extent to which they which they bring through players, they should really, really be pushing as one of the top sides in the country. And I think everyone everyone agrees with that. But consistently, they've either lost players, players have gotten injured, play or players just haven't really haven't really performed to the top level. There was no when, when you've got to really ask yourselves what that sort of post Bloodgate generation wanted to achieve because I think if you look at them domestically obviously we're talking about great players and great international stars Rob Shaw Brown Kerr uh, Marler as you said but on a domestic level have they really bought Harlequins the success that they'd expect I, I, I don't think they have yeah I mean they're, they, they're just sort of generally inconsistent going looking ahead to the game tonight last year they got a huge win against Exeter at home but we're never really able to capitalise, losing games against Worcester away and again, and not really being consistent getting the other, against the other teams around them in the table. So winning tonight against a team who's had, who've had a much shorter break considering they had to play the Premiership final and the uh, Champions Cup final, it's a prime opportunity to potentially grab a bonus point in a best-case scenario, but otherwise they should be sort of favourites for the win tonight. Um, so, Johnny, you kind of touched on it a bit there, and I think... Uh, taking it back to Stefan Lewis, the new captain, um, they've still got some experienced players there. So Danny Kerr and is it Mike Brown? Yeah, um, they're still starting. Why do you think it is they've decided not to go for an experienced player as the captain this year? Um, so they're, I think they're both about what, 33, 35 in that age yeah. region. Um, do you think it's an age thing, or or is the, are they looking long term with this new guy? I think I think Johnny's touched on it. It's well, they wanted to sort of move on to the next generation. I think they see Levies as someone who could be around for a long time. He's not really got any chance at international duty with the number of second rows up there for South Africa. So I think they've tried, they've ju- they're trying to move on to a next generation under a coach who's inherited a lot of these uh, stars in the last couple of years. If anything, I think it really goes to show um, the, the strong position that South African rugby is in at the moment. I mean, just, I mean, we're talking about the new second row and captain, but obviously they've also got Esther Housen joining and Lowe and I mean, Esterhausen is an, is is the player I'm really excited for at Harlequins this season. I think they haven't really. I think jo- Jamie Roberts came in after the Lions tour, and I think they probably would have maybe expected a bit more of a contribution from him. But I'm hoping Esterhausen is going to be that real physical, um, that real physical presence in the centres for Harlequins. I think they're going to need uh, if they really want to get uh, you know Marcus Smith and Ibatoye and. Marchant, yeah, yeah, marching on the front, uh, marching on the front foot. I know I really like marching as player. I stumbled there because I didn't know if he was still in New Zealand, but he was in the England he, squad. No, he's so back now. He's back from New Zealand. Okay, fantastic. Won't be playing tonight, obviously. He's well, yeah, yeah, because he's in the England squad. But I mean, I think, I think as time as time moves forward, this 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 could be uh, a fresh start for Harlequins and, and something that I'm quite excited about. So yeah, it's a, a lot of reason to be optimistic. Um, and I think one thing we should probably touch on. Is that obviously? Am I right in believing the Saracens have been relegated, uh, yes. and they're not going to be competing this year? Does that open up the competition a little bit more, um, especially for a team like Harlequins who are uh, kind of in that transitional period? Does it open up the competition to a team like that to, to kind of compete uh, higher up? Well, it's really fascinating because you you find yourself in a situation where yes, Saracens have moved out of that role of uh, sort of the dominant. Side in the league, but at the same time, you've moved Exeter straight into that position. And when a side is winning 
both the European and domestic title, it's very hard to then say that they aren't clear favourites for the next for the next title. However, I think it's become the case now where some of the sides in in the FIFA Premiership are so strong, and 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 have recruited so well that I see no reason why they shouldn't be challenging that England um, that Exeter side on paper. So yes, Exeter may have uh, fantastic players, but at the end of the day, Sale and Bristol both have fantastic, uh, fantastic squads as well, you know. And as has always been the case in the Aviva Premiership, on your day, anyone can be anyone. That is always the case in in rugby, in, um, in rugby in general, obviously. But truly, truly, is the case in the Aviva Premiership. And I think you can probably expect a, a slightly tighter league this year, obviously. You won't have that additional uh, loss that other sides maybe would have to accept was a given against Saracens that teams like Exeter and Sale uh, maybe could have considered a uh, closer, tighter game. But at the same time, are they going to make up the gap over the rest of the season? I don't really think it's to do with Saracens' as in, um, involvement. It's about the other teams needing to improve in general. Cool. Um, any last thoughts on, on the club captain then? Uh, uh, I think he's a good choice, and uh, I think they'll get a win tonight as well. Win tonight. So, next up, we'll be previewing the Southwest London Premier League teams. Uh, so, starting off with Fulham, they take on Everton this Sunday. Uh, so, it's been a, a pretty poor start for Fulham. Uh, I think that's quite fair to say. They've only won one, drew uh, drew one, and and the rest have all been losses. Um, so they take on Everton on the BBC, which it's good that we've got football going back to, to free-to-view TV rather than the pay-per-view system they had. I imagine that's the first time Fulham have been on the BBC yeah. for 50 years. I was going to say, I, I, I mean, I, as a Fulham fan, I can't remember a time when and that's been the case before. And that's quite exciting, I think, to see. But um, how, how do we, initially, before we get into it, how, how do we see that going? I think it's going to be tough for Fulham. Um, they may be playing at home, but Everton, though they're not quite as on form as they were to start the season, are still looking very strong. So uh, it's still, as as most games in Premier League will be for them, it will be a slog. There's something about this Fulham side that increasingly reminds me of the Palace side that came up uh, back in, I think, 2014, 2013. And it's a bit of a team of Mavericks. It's clearly got massive weaknesses in the sides. But whether you like it or not, they're not in the relegation zone. They're, they, they're keeping their head above water for now. I think a lot of people really worried for them after the first couple of games of the season and are, are, are beginning to swallow their words, really. And I think they are increasingly starting to look like a decent side. Are that is that going to be enough to beat Everton? I think Everton have James Rodriguez back this weekend. Yeah, Am I, I correct in saying that? Now. Okay, I don't think it was a long-term injury. Yeah, so he so that could be a challenge, and I'm not sure if they have the defence that's really uh, needed to stop the likes of Calvert Lewin, Sigurdsson. I believe Richarlison's also back following his red mm. card. So I think it could be a draw. To be honest, uh, I think because we've just had the international break, I think that probably came at a really bad time for Fulham because they had the win against uh, who was it now West Brom, and then the game against West Ham. They really probably deserved more than than what well, they got, they lost, but they probably deserved more than than that. Well, we know they I definitely deserved the draw. Um, they deserved a draw, I would say, is quite fair. 
Um, obviously, we had the whole drama at the end of that with the penalties and such. But they deserve more. And I think the international break coming kind of ruined that, that sort of momentum they had going for them. And it's a really tough run of games they've got coming up now. So after Everton, they've got, I think, Leicester, Man City and Arsenal or Chelsea uh, in the next four. So it's going to be really tough for them to get going. And I think getting at least a point uh, away at Everton is going to be an, a, a crucial start to that run. I think what, what really uh, will play a role in the way the bottom of the table looks this season is actually looking at it is quite a close league this year. Now you've got uh, you've obviously got Sheffield United and Burnley on one and two points, but we all know Bur- Burnley have a tendency to start slow and then grow into the season. And frankly, Sheffield United were a good side last year with mu- basically the same personnel. Mm. Now, can they come back from that? I'm not sure, but those could be two of the sides that end up filling those relegation zones. If Bur- if um, if Burnley don't recover quickly, they could be in serious trouble. And then above them is West Brom, who. I'll be honest with you, I, I not just because they lost to Fulham, I think are a worse side than Fulham. Mm. And then above them, uh, then comes Fulham and then Brighton above them, who really at the end of the day could go either way. So it's 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 not as clear cut as I think people try to make out at the beginning with Fulham, but they've still got a massive uphill battle to face. The major concern is they're rebuilding a back four from scratch mm. with new options that they've signed in the summer. And if they can build... Primarily, if they can get the two centre-backs gelling and keeping the majority of goals out, then they have a chance. But if it never quite works out and it ends up like last time they were in the Premier League, then it's going to be quite nasty. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what a lot of Fulham supporters were hoping for with this uh, coming up again, was to see a bit more stability. But, you know, their, their side is practically unrecognisable from last season. I think, what, Mitrovic, Kearney, they're about the only two figures in that starting eleven that uh, were in their championship campaign. So, yeah, it's a lot of new players coming in, and a lot of them have been really good already. Um, so Adam Ola Lookman obviously had that hor- like the, one of the worst penalties ever. I think that's kind of fair to that's say. Famous Panaka. Uh, uh, yeah, I think calling it Panaka is is generous. <laughs> yeah, generous. Yeah, just just terrible. But um, but yeah, he, aside from that, he's actually looked really impressive. Uh, as has uh, Zambo and Guisa, who's returned from his loan at uh, Villarreal. So there's some some really talented players in there. And I think it is a case of them just, just kind of, you know, getting that run started. Uh, like Mitrovic, for instance, he's had a pretty rough patch. I think he missed a penalty for Serbia on international duty. Um, so he's kind of at a pretty got low, two low moment. In the last in game, career. though, did he get two assists? Yeah, I think he got two assists in the lot in your last match. They've got two two assists against West Brom. Against West Brom, yeah, he did get two assists, which is good. But also, he's when you look at a side like Fulham. He is kind of the player they should be looking at to get the goals, and what he's, he's scored once, mm. maybe twice this season. Yeah. Um, and I think Who they've been a starting bit more. ahead of him. Uh, he he's been playing. Has he been playing? He's been well, playing. Okay. He's just not been. Uh, <laughs> he's not, been out of my fantasy. Yeah, so yeah. I I, I've kept him in my fantasy team optimistically, but um, <laughs> might be about time to end now. Yeah, I think that Fulham uh, could go either way, really, and it's too early to tell. But I've, I, I think there's there's signs to be hopeful there. Maybe not the, the lost cause that everyone was sort of making out that it was in the early days of the season. Uh, so there is another team from South London playing this weekend. Uh, well, actually on Monday, isn't it? Crystal Palace are taking on Burnley, who we mentioned earlier. Um, so on paper, I would have thought that's going to be quite a comfortable victory for Crystal Palace, you'd hope? Mm, uh, yes, you would think that, wouldn't you? But uh, unfortunately, Palace are basically insane mm. and, and can't decide whether they're a good side or a bad side. 
uh, and 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 frankly, it means that we go into almost every single game as confused as anybody as to what the result could end up being. I think it definitely helps that Zaha is in great form for obvious reasons, but at the same time, if there's one side I'd put money on shutting down Zaha, mm. it's probably Burnley. So I'm I'm really very fifty fifty on it. It's the side. Are we? We're we're away, aren't we? I'm not sure, to be honest. Who's, who's yeah, we team? are away. We are away. Uh, so, I mean, if this was at home, I'd say we definitely. If this, if we were at home, I would not be confident of even getting of, of getting the win. I would be very confident that we'd either lose or draw. But since we're away, I'm a bit more optimistic. Yeah, more optimistic because yes. you're away. Yes, I think. I think. Well, I just feel like Burnley have a bit more of a pressure to come out and attack us mm. in that situation. Whereas at home, you know, we really struggle against some of the more compact sides at home. And I, I, I like the way the Palace side is shaping up. We had a really strong result against Leeds. Uh, Eze seems to really be coming to the fore now, which is exciting. So who knows? I mean, it, it's, it's up in the air, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm semi-optimistic for Palace mm. this weekend. The main thing that concerns me about Palace Burnley is it could be the worst game to watch of the weekend yeah. all by itself on Monday night. So hopefully we see some fireworks, but uh, I'm not optimistic. Yeah, I mean it's 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 one. I mean we're we're without uh, we're without Milivojevic, so that means there's definitely going to be he's he's got COVID. So I think that will definitely result in uh, in some midfield changes. I think Roy's been a little bit more exciting this season. I think we've been a little bit more open to conceding a few more goals in exchange for you know maybe getting a few more chances. I'd like to see more from Ayu, uh, who's who's I think sort of let himself down a bit so far this season I think he's, he had a really strong year last year and uh, I do. I also think there's loads to come from Bashway. I think people he's a goal scorer he's, I think he's had the goal in the back of the net three times but all, ta- all three times has sort of been unlucky to have them ruled off I think by VAR and I, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic as a side I think this is this is definitely I, obviously take the game at the weekend out of, um, away from it and I, I, I'm optimistic that we're going to have a good year but I still don't know about. Uh, I, I still don't know how we're going to play on a week by week basis because we're so we're so unpredictable. We we could we could go and beat City or Liverpool one week and we'll lose to West Brom and Fulham the next two weeks after. And that's just Palace all over, really. Except Palace did beat Fulham, I think. Oh, we season. did beat Fulham already this season, <laughs> but, uh, yes. But we weren't really. I didn't think we were particularly convincing against Fulham. No, I thought yeah. we were. I thought Fulham. I, I I read the match report actually on the BBC. I was like, oh, it sounds like we played well. Actually, mm. I, I watched the game back from beginning to end. I thought we were terrible. Yeah. I was. <laughs> so I, I thought we were. I thought we were pretty poor. And I, I think Fulham were. Did, did Fulham had a, had a chance late yeah, on, didn't again, they? I think to it's one of those games where Fulham deserved a bit more out of it than they got. Mm. So I mean, another example of where Fulham have have, have been better than I think people have been make, uh, have made out, and and Palace have struggled against a a slightly uh, a slightly well, I don't want to say a smaller side because Palace are themselves considered a smaller side, mm. but you know, one of the less established Premier League teams. So it, it's it's interesting. It's very interesting. I'm I'm optimistic for this weekend and optimistic for the season, but God knows. <laughs> um, so you briefly touched on it there. Uh, and I feel like every time you talk about Palace, you have to talk about one man in particular, Wilfred Zaha. Um, so he has, he's been a lot better this season. Last season, it was quite quiet, and I think that kind of showed in Palace's overall performance. They were a bit dull to watch. I think they only scored something about 38 goals or something in the league last season. Um, I think his return to form has possibly been the cause for the, the kind of the re-energy we've seen in this side. Um, is there a trouble that they could become too kind of one dynamic, just going playing through him? 
or is that is that not as much an issue anymore with players like Eze and Bashuai coming in? I think it's I think last season was semi reassuring for a lot of people mm. because we had that sort of uh, transfer battle with Arsenal. Zaha came back. It was widely reported that he wasn't particularly happy about returning to Palace after the summer, and I was worried. I think a lot of Palace fans were worried, and other players such as Ayu, who I've already mentioned, Jeffrey Schlupp, who uh, I, I'm incredibly happy with in Palace's midfield, uh, players like Gary Cahill, uh, all stepped up and really started to put in an effort. And I think Palace, the rest of Palace's squad to an extent is actually quite underrated. As a, as a group of players, they're a group of very competent professionals who have experience in the league, who are strong, powerful, and are going to be a tough, a tough game for anyone, especially with Roy at the helm. What Zaha offers is, is just the ability to really to, to take a team down, whether we're playing well or not. And so I feel like we could be, I feel like we could be in trouble uh, when he leaves. But hopefully whatever money we get for him and the money that we've spent in the meantime is going to mean that when he does leave, it's not going to see a basically an immediate relegation for us. But I wouldn't put it past Palace at all. I could see us just going down straight away after he leaves. He would be very Palace. Right, uh, before we bring an end to this section, let's have some predictions for the games. Uh, Fulham-Everton, what does everyone think is going to be the score there? Optimistically, 2-2. Two, 2-2? Two. Two, two. I was going to go 2-2 as well. well yeah, uh, I also had the figure 2-2 well, we, in my head. I think I'm just being optimistic to see a good game of football. They're both quite exciting teams to watch on their day. With um, some good flair players in there. As I say, Lookman, Richarlison, all that sort of players. So there's a lot of excitement in the game. Everton have too many injuries, and they're a bit. Uh, they, they've they've worried me since since that first first run of wins. Mm. Honestly, and, and I, I I get I I'm almost tempted to say they may fall off a little bit now, but uh, I mean, have they got uh they've got Richarlison back and they've got uh, Hammers back, mm. but we'll have to see. And then Crystal Palace Burnley, what do we reckon the scores there? I'm gonna be harsh and say one 0 Palace. One 0 Palace, fair. I'll go two one Palace, but only because we're playing away. I'm gonna go nil nil. I just feel like all the games on Mondays recently have always disappointed. There's no real logic behind that or trend to that, but they're also it is one of those games where you've got Burnley who don't score a lot of goals and they've got a fairly rugged defence. Well, they did last season at least, um, and I think that could potentially hold off hold off Palace. So I'm gonna go nil nil. UEFA Nations League. Group A1, Bosnia and Herzegovina, nil, Italy, two, Poland, one, the Netherlands, two. Group C2, Armenia, one, North Macedonia, nil, Georgia, nil, Estonia, nil. Group C3, Greece, nil, Slovenia, nil, Kosovo, one, Moldova, one. Group C four. Albania three. Belarus two. Kazakhstan one. Lithuania United two. Joining us for the final section of the show is the head coach of Surrey County Cricket, Vikram Solanki. Hello, Vikram. Good to good to see. You. How are you doing today? Is it? 
Yeah, I mean, it's quiet at the moment. You know, we're in the off-season. The weather's not great, so there's not much cricket being played. And obviously, with the lockdown, we've had to shut down all operations anyway. We're essentially on holiday, so mm. it's, uh, it's a proper cool-down period. So we've brought you here today to have a little chat about some of the England players that have been selected from Surrey. Um, so four players have been selected from Surrey. Uh, so let's just work through them, I guess. So Reese Topley, uh, he's been selected for England for the first time. Uh, he was selected for the first time in August since 2016, so a four-year gap for him, and he's been selected again. Um, what's it like to see him back in the side? It's great. He's been he's been desperate to get back to international level for such a long time. You know, he got a taste of it a few years ago, and uh, he's really been uh, really working hard at county level. You know, with us, we've had obviously some success in that time and his bowling has just gone from strength to strength. I'm so glad for him to get the opportunity. He's going to have great fun bowling on those wickets down in South Africa. It's, it can only be great for, for, his, uh, for his skills and uh, it's, uh, it's not often that your players get this sort of intense winter training camp before the actual season starts. So from a Surrey perspective it's great news and on a personal level I couldn't be happier for him. Um, so it's quite a, a competitive bowling scene at the moment in England. You've obviously got Stuart Broad, had a great summer, and the man at the moment, really, Joffre Archer. But Joffre Archer will be missing the South Africa tour, um, getting, getting a break after his IPL appearances. Uh, does that open the door for Topley to kind of establish himself as one of England's top bowlers? Yeah, the competition at England, at England level at the moment with the bowling is incredibly tough. I mean, you might as well forget about test level at this point. It's locked down. But at ODI level... I think Reese and the two Currens have a huge chance here to uh, to cement themselves as proper options. Reese, in particular, I I think is really suited to the South African wickets, and uh, could really uh, could really steal a spot. You know, with it. it's uh, it's a particular time, and if if you can stay fit and uh, stay on the field, you you've always got a chance. Uh, you touched on a little bit there, and. Um that is the Curran brothers, uh, in particular Sam Curran, uh, who had a very impressive performances in the Indian Premier League uh, and has established himself as one of the top bowlers in T20. Um, how, how impressive has he been recently? Oh, he's been great. I'm, I'm so happy to see him perform so well. They're, they're such young guys and uh, they're just always blowing expectations out of the water. The IPL hasn't generally, generally been friendly to English players, but I think Guys like Curran and Archer, before he got injured, were doing a superb job. And uh, I can't wait to see both of them in uh, the two, the twins in South Africa. Brothers, rather, in South Africa. Um, and the only player we haven't mentioned yet, Jason Roy. Uh, quite an experienced player now for England. Played, obviously, over the summer as well. Um, he, at the moment, or he's going to be joining the Australian Big Bash League uh, later this year. What's, what's it like for a player like that to, to go there and, and get kind of that new experience? Well, similar to uh, Reese Topley's situation, though uh, perhaps on a grander scale, this is a big, big opportunity for the club, really, because he gets again an extensive sort of winter training camp and an opportunity to play in completely different conditions with a new squad, learn maybe slightly different style of play. It can only be good for him in the long run, and uh, he's joins a fairly short list of English players who've uh, been over to the Big Bash League, especially in a time where. There's not much cricket being played. I'm sure he jumped at the opportunity. And uh, he's our talisman here at Surrey, so uh, he should uh, should have no problem with those uh, those Aussie bowlers. Um, I mean, I don't want to bring it up, but I guess I have to. Uh, last month, 
in October at least, you uh, lost out in the final of the T20 Blast uh, to Nottingham. How do you move on from a defeat like that? You know, I suppose we just have to take it as a, as a learning experience. You know, we managed to get all the way to the final. That's an achievement in itself. But not crossing the final hurdle obviously means the season is a failure. But I think uh, we're in a pretty strong position to build from that. All these young players who are getting time with England is only going to mean they're ready for a strong, quick start in, uh, in April. And hopefully the world will be some, something like normal and uh, we're going to have some fantastic evenings at the Oval for those, uh, those T20 games that can only help us to reach the final again. That's our, that's our goal, is uh, the, the title. Brilliant. Thank you for joining us. It's been great to hear from you. No problem. So that was our interview with Vikram Solanke, head coach of Surrey County Cricket. Uh, great to hear from him on, on all the players that have been selected for England against South Africa. Um, so obviously one player we touched on a lot there was Rhys Topley, um, who has been selected for the first time since 2016. Uh, do we see this as being a potentially big moment for him in his career? I would hope so. I mean, he's, he's somewhat down the pecking order when it comes to bowling at international level. But he obviously has a big chance here to sort of jump up, jump up the order, and uh, frankly, he really deserves the opportunity. And that's all. That's uh, that's the main thing to take away is uh, it's it's merited. Mm. Um, and the other players he was mentioning uh, in that interview was uh, the Curran brothers. And um, having I've been watching a lot of the IPL this season. Um, I mean, there's not been a lot of sport on, but I've been watching a lot of the IPL, trying to get into cricket and. They have been very impressive. Uh, a lot of English players have impressed in the IPL. Um, so he mentioned on the interview, of course, he mentioned Jofra Archer uh, and other players like Ben Stokes, who we all we know he's always going to be good. Um, but it's been a weird change to see these players kind of becoming the top players uh, in the Indian Premier League. Uh, Jofra Archer named MVP, of course. Uh, so in that, uh, Sam Curran, I believe, got 13 wickets in 14 matches with an economy of 8.19 and a batting average of 23.25 which are all pretty strong stats. Um, you know, they're not, not sensational by any means, but I think his, his kind of averages across, across bowling and batting make him such an important player um, for England at the moment. I think that batting average really shows how, he's, how shows how he's matured and has really learned the T20 game. As a, as a player who was never really... There was never really any suggestion that he was going to get to this level batting-wise. To be able to do that in the IPL is a really good sign for his future prospects. Um, and, and Johnny, you're a big fan of Jason Roy. I, I oh yes. Um, uh, yeah. So he's he's obviously a very Am strong, I? He's a very <laughs> I just know. strong opening batsman. What do you what do you what do you make of his selection to England? Is he the right guy to? Is he going to be the opener for England? Do you think? Yeah, I mean Jason Roy. I mean what I do know about Jason Roy is he's obviously been quite a uh, quite a controversial opening batsman mm. to have. I know. I know, remember uh, during the World Cup a few years back. Was it last year? I think it was last 2019. Year. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, wow. no, no, time flies. Yeah, I mean, Christ, it's just been a terrible year. Hasn't it? <laughs> um, I mean, when uh, I remember while I was watching that, and I'm I'm not a huge cricket fan, I'll throw my hands up there. But while I was watching the uh, ODI World Cup, I remember being always uh, not being particularly comfortable with Roy as the opening batsman. Although obviously, I I, I, I maybe lack the technical knowledge. Uh, I would, however, uh, as the tournament went on, he he improved uh, he improved considerably. So I'd probably say that he deserves that spot. Yeah, after. Um, after a tough year where they probably haven't had a lot of cricket played, so um, it's hard to get cricket played at the best of times. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, it'll be interesting to see, um, it's been a very busy year, that's another thing people have been talking about in cricket, is it's been such a busy year for these players, um, in the end, because it's kind of been condensed into the, the late mm -hmm. late part of the year, late so summer. it started in August, and obviously a lot of them, as I say, have been in the IPL, which I think has opened the door <coughs> for um, players like Reese Topley, uh, and maybe even Jason Roy, who I don't know if they would have got in the side, had it been a full strength squad, so like Joe Root I think is missing, Ben Stokes is missing, Archer's missing. That's some big names, and I think um, for Surrey, that's really great that they now get to have four players going with that that squad to South Africa. I think for Southwest Londoners, the big dream is to see the two Karens bowling for England and doing well. That would that would just be it would just be perfect. So, any predictions for how the the tour in South Africa is going to go? Um, see, it's a it's a crazy game cricket. You can never really predict how it's going to go. But. I think with uh, Sam Curran already being announced as rested. Uh, for the first game that suggests that the players might not be you know they might be a bit ragged at this point so maybe they start slow and come back maybe maybe it goes 2-1 in the ODI series and then to uh, to England that is and I think they win the, uh, they win the T20s as well probably not a clean sweep either so I'll, I'll go 2-1 for both series so before we leave you this week it is time for our quote of the week um and this time it's coming from a man we know all too well, Ronnie O'Sullivan. Uh, he, he's never afraid to stay away from the limelight. And this week he has taken a bit of a disliking to Lewis Hamilton, who of course claimed his record uh, sixth or seventh world title. Um, tied, tied, tied the record for tied seventh, the record for seventh world championship. And Ronnie O'Sullivan, uh, among the discussion of, of who is the greatest British sports person, he has come out with a, a whole flurry of, of, of quotes, if you will. Um, so one I'm picking up on here is, it doesn't mean as much as, say, a sport like tennis with Federer playing everyone on a level playing field. Uh, and there's other quotes about his, his car, and basically the gist of what he's getting at is that there is not a level playing field and that Hamilton is only one because of the car he drives. Do you mind if I go on a very quick rant about this? Yes, why not? Okay. I'd be more than happy <clears throat> Screw you, Ronnie O'Sullivan. Right? You've got a direction. I know, I'm, I'm looking at you right now, Matt. I know, obviously, they can't see us, but I'm looking Matt directly in the eyes. It's very Real intense. anger, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. All right, screw you, Ronnie O'Sullivan. <laughs> I, now I feel like I'm at the start of that episode of Peach Show. Screw you, Bush. Um, <laughs> you didn't even properly win the World Championship, O'Sullivan. No. <laughs> no. This is so the typical, point. typical, typical... Oh, you know, back in my day, there was it was so competitive, and there were twenty potential winners to every tournament. The tennis example, first of all, is ridiculous. How can you say that it's a level playing ground in tennis? The court they're playing on plays a huge role mm. in tennis, right? So how can you say Federer is the best when he can't beat Nadal on clay, right? In the same way, so it's clearly not a level playing field in any of these sports, right? The uh, Messi and Ronaldo, right? you could say have either significantly worse teammates or significantly more skillful teammates than a Pele or a Maradona. You could say they've got far more comfortable and effective gear than a Pele or a Maradona, and that's why their stats are so much greater. You've just got to make a decision based on this. And it feeds into the to the typical very, very, very 2020 sort of, 
cling for nostalgia. You know, oh, Schumacher was better. I watched Schumacher back in the day and he was a world... Like, I mean, if you actually look at the statistics, yeah? So they both have seven world titles, yeah? But Lewis won those seven world titles in 264 races with 94 wins, 163 podiums. In 308 races, do you know how many wins Schumacher got? Uh, 91. 91, right, with 155 podiums, right? So, and, and not only that, can I, can I review name one of Schumacher's, like, great adversaries other than Raikkonen? Uh, Massa towards the Fernando end of his Alonso, career? Massa and Alonso, right? Alonso has been um, one of Hamilton's adversaries for the whole thing. Hmm. He also had to take on Alonso, right? And um, I, I would argue that Vettel is, 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 is twice the driver in terms of quality that Massa is. Obviously, I understand that there is a slight advantage in the sense that Mercedes got an advantage, but that's why there's been a driver's championship. There's always been a driver's championship. I think you can also compare that to the dominance of Ferrari back in the day. At that stage, they were, they were the leading constructors, and uh, there was similar conversations mm. about whether it was an even playing field then, because Schumacher was clearly the best driver in the best car, and for extended periods dominated. Lewis Hamilton is... Uh, by the end of his career, is going to have surpassed Schumacher in almost every statistic and uh, is almost definitely going to be considered the greatest of all time. Ronnie O'Sullivan is obviously in a, a fairly enviable position in terms of being able to comment on this. He competes in a sport where there's not really any question about his greatness and there, there isn't really a caveat you can mm. offer and it's obviously more nuanced and complex in F1. I think also... Ronnie O'Sullivan's coming into it from you know he's a solo sport player he, he, but he's not appreciating I don't think that F1 isn't really it's not about one person it is a team sport and obviously we're saying Lewis Hamilton is the best sports person of the time but but he's got that team around him as well and I think by with all these comments he's coming out with it's it's unfair to really I don't know I think he, he's quite unfair in saying what he said um uh, just to, just to come in again, I mean, if you want to look, at, if you want to talk about having a dominance over the sport and a level playing field, all you need to do is go back and actually look at the history of Ferrari in F1. So in 1998, they won the constructors' championship. Schumacher came third, right in the drivers' championship. 2000, they win the chess drivers' champion. They win the constructors' championship again. Schumacher comes third again, right in 2001. They win it. This time, Schumacher does win a championship. But in 2002, they win it again. Schumacher wins a championship. 2003, Schumacher wins a championship. 2004, Schumacher wins a championship. And Ferrari win the constructors again. It's, it's, it, it, unless you want to be ahistorical about the entire situation, basically just to take a knock at Harris, um, Hamilton. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I, I'm not a, a to-the-death Hamilton defender. I think he's made mistakes. I do think he is probably the greatest British sportsman of my lifetime at the same time so I also think it's a shame for Ronnie O'Sullivan to put down essentially one of his peers in uh, being a British man who British person who dominates their sport to the extent that they do and really you'd think he would uh, have a great level of, a level of respect for someone who competes on the same level that he does mm. I think uh, honestly I, I think Ronnie O'Sullivan loves loves the uh, loves the silk the attention yeah well I mean I, I wouldn't go as far to say attention. the drama is it for want of a better word, he is he, he he's a bit of a soup stirrer, right? In the sense that uh, he 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 does like to sort of stir the pot a little bit, get people a bit riled up, and I respect that. And he's gotten me riled up. He's done his job, but I've I've I've, I've I can't stand him that much. <laughs> well, you've heard it here first. We can't stand um. running on something on this show.
But that brings a close to, to our episode of Southwest Londoner podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Southwest Londoner. But for now, goodbye.